G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as pressures intensify all around us, some are saying never has there been such a vital time for the church to rediscover the concept of fasting that accompanies our Christian practice of prayer. Battles over legislation, over worldviews, over the saving of souls are breaking out all around us, and often the individual can feel somewhat powerless to do anything about it. But over the last decade, there's been a reawakening around prayer and fasting. As churches have been calling congregations to seasons of prayer and fasting, But how does an individual believer or a local church shed the overtones of that sort of legalistic fasting and introduce a fresh look at fasting that's full of grace and is sustainable? Well, Matt Madigan is a pastor, a speaker, author, and a passionate faster. In fact, for the last 20 years, a 40-day fast has been a part of his annual routine. Matt's written a couple of books. His latest is called Invitation to a Fast, which is a follow-up to his first book called This Chosen Fast. Matt is joining us. Hello, Matt. Welcome to 2020. Hi, Neil. How are you going? Great to be with you and many people around Australia this morning. Uh, I'm going well and really a privilege and a pleasure to have you on and talking about something like this, which take us, as I said at the start there, uh, into a little bit deeper waters because sometimes as Christian believers we find ourselves paddling around in the shallows. This uh, is something I guess you get to talk about quite a lot when people are asking you some of the deep and insightful questions about fasting. Uh, is there a sort of a shallow waters we're in as Christians and there's deeper waters? Is is that the way you might describe people who are prepared to uh, to do some fasting? Oh, look, I, I think um, the idea of fasting uh, has, has got um, a bit of a bad rap over the years because it is, I mean, there's physical and mental difficulties around it. So we, we tend to sort of um, avoid conversations around it and sort of uh, maybe think it's just for a chosen few and um, yeah, there's a lot of overtones around it, but it's it's quite amazing once you jump in. Um, the spiritual refreshing that comes is quite amazing, really. I mean, I have a I have a bit of a love hate relationship with it. I love what God does in my life uh, during those times and after those times. Um, but I really struggle with the idea of um, of actually giving up well anything really. I mean, uh, traditionally we think about fasting in terms of food. Um, uh, but you know, fasting can can be a whole range of things that that we find really uh, we have affections towards that may be a little bit misplaced. Interesting you're raising this and good to be talking about this early in a conversation because oftentimes we think about fasting, we're thinking about food 
Uh, but uh, of recent years, I've noticed when people have been called to a fast, there's been this real, you know, this, uh, you know, you choose something that you personally sacrifice, something that you set aside, something that is uh, a humbling before God. And uh, and I guess that can be around a whole lot of things, but I suppose the best way to talk about that today, we'll talk about food fasting, but, but there's a lot of different ways that people do fast, Matt. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the critical thing is that we're seeking, I guess, the guidance of God around this. I guess there once upon a time in church history where fasting was very much imposed by the clergy um, on churches, and it was very much, uh, you need to do this and you need to do that. And I think the rediscovering of fasting has got a lot to do with, um, there's a grace element around it. And what I mean by that is, not only is there an empowerment to do it, but there's also this idea that um, that it's really important to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Um, I remember reading an article when I first started getting into fasting, and it was belittling um, different aspects of fasting uh, by saying, unless you give up this and this and this, it's not really a true fast. And I really struggled with that because... Um, I'd been very purposeful around seeking God around what sort of things you give up in fasting. And it was really hard to hear another author say that unless you um, you meet the sort of strict criteria that I'm setting out, then it's not really fasting. So it was really, I think um, in my first 40-day fast, I was really challenged around this. And I was reading a Jack Hayford book. And there was a pastor in, uh, Jack Hayford was talking about his pastor once upon a time um, who was diabetic, uh, but still would call the church to seasons of prayer and fasting. Um, and what the, what the diabetic pastor would say was, I, uh, I need to eat for health reasons, but what I'm going to do is eat the minimum possible for me to stay healthy. And, and by doing so, he was saying, I'm entering into the spirit of the fast. And I think that's a really important thing. Early on in my days of fasting, uh, I probably was a little bit leaning towards the legalistic. Um, but as the years have gone by, I realized that, yes, God calls us to fasting. But if I, if I, for example, am going to an event with lots of people when there's food there and it's a sit-down dinner and I can't avoid eating, then I'll eat a little bit. Um, because the last thing I want to do is draw too much attention to myself. So, you know, I think um, the idea that we enter into the spirit of the fast and we leave legalism behind, I think does present a lot more an attractive idea to people that they could they could consider it um, because you take a little bit of the pressure off. Yeah, so that's some of the... And you're not limited then to food, although from what I uh, can understand from the Scriptures, uh, mostly when we're hearing of fasting in the Bible, we are talking about food. So it is a good thing to come around this idea of, of food. But there's uh, you know, there's an interesting uh, way that I've seen things of recent years too when uh, there's been a call to fast and some who've said, well... I'm giving up my video games uh, for a period of fasting. Or someone says, I'm giving up chocolate uh, for uh, 30 days or 21 days or however you uh, would uh, 
uh, classify that all for a week. Uh, these sorts of things, you know, for a lot of people, this what this is what makes it personal, isn't it? I guess when we're talking about yeah. individuals yeah. and personal personal issues, uh, these things are important to individuals, and that's what makes it actually important. Yeah, look, when I used when I used to hear people back in the early days, when I used to hear people say, "Oh, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent," I would I would internally scoff a little bit. I, I would sort of. Um, in my mind, think, yeah, that's like a big deal. And then I realized that um, that to give up anything uh, to dedicate yourself to prayer is actually quite an amazing thing. And there are, um, and often uh, some of the things that are more addictive, like video games or social media or television or chocolate or whatever it is, they can actually hold uh, affections in us that God wants to um, to loosen in order us to um, to have our affections more directed to Him, so you know, I, I probably am, and maybe this is a product of getting older. Uh, you know, I'm not as, um, you know, when people want to give up anything, I think that's an honourable thing these days. But yeah, I think you're right. The Bible doesn't talk about, uh, rightly so. The Bible doesn't talk about Facebook and and chocolate and um, all those sort of things. It does mention food because back in the day. That was uh, something that was, you know, uh, very much an essential thing. But the Bible does definitely talk in lots of different places around the concept of giving up something that is uh, a beautiful gift from God, food, uh, in order for, for periods of really seeking Him. And now, Matt, you're a known authority on this topic of fasting. Uh, you've got a couple of books out, and uh, we'll talk some more about your books as the conversation goes on. Uh, but uh, take us back to 2004. You were a part of the leadership of a 40-day fast for the Call Australia, and uh, that culminated in a 12-hour event at the Sydney Showground. 6,000 people turned up. I'm not sure whether they were all involved in that fast, but uh, but take us back to that event and some of the significance around what happens individually, but also what happens corporately when you do get people who are interested and excited about a fast. Yeah. So back when we did the call in 2004, we'd, we'd been across to, and when I say we, um, uh, my wife and myself and other Australians as well, had been across to um, the call in New York City. So we went across there in 2002. Um, uh, and that's the, the story of how we got there was quite miraculous. And it's also, that was around my first 40-day fast, 2002. So um, that's in my first book, This Chosen Fast, which will be back on Amazon soon. It's, it's been out of print for years. Um, and then, uh, and then we went to Dallas in 2003 for the call Dallas. In, when we went to New York, there was, it was quite amazing because, like, I'd been to some pretty big prayer meetings here in Australia, you know, like 10 and 15 people. No, I'm joking. Um, I've been to some big prayer meetings. But I, we went to this prayer meeting in New York City, and there was uh, something like 90,000 people at Flushing Meadow. And for me, it was a, uh, it was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, to have that many people praying and fasting for uh, for 12 hours. Um, like when you arrive there, you know, you go to Flushing Meadow and there was no, um, there was no food cart or, or you know, you know, at lots of events you've got, um, you know, trailers with uh, food being sold. There was none of that. There was just water being given out. And so Dallas was the same. We went to Dallas and I was about at the Cotton Bowl um November 2003, there was about 35 to 40,000 people there. 
And so the call Australia was birthed. Um, uh, Bruce and Le- Cheryl Lindley uh, headed that up, and they asked me to um, to do 40 days of prayer and fasting, lead that um, as we led into the event, because we really wanted to see a shift uh, in Australia at the time. You know, there's a, there's a great passion behind the call um, for massive prayer and fasting to move nations, it, it, basically um, to see souls saved, and also to often there'll be some um, sort of more political sort of uh, prayer points around as well. So we, um, we headed into the event on October 3, 2004, um, and it's interesting. So for about... Um, so for six weeks leading up to, the first three weeks we sort of were at home and we just prayed fast uh, remotely. But then we gathered a team of about 10 or 15 of us and for three weeks beforehand, we just um, we went to various locations in Sydney and just prayed um, strategically for the nation. And then uh, leading up to October 2, um, it was, was basically pouring for the whole week. The whole week was uh, wet. And we just thought, oh, man, is this going to work at all? But it was really interesting. As, as dawn came on October, Saturday, October 2, 2004, um, the rain sort of just held back a little bit, and, uh, and we, were, we were staying at the showground, and just thousands of people started to come. And it was really interesting. Um, they were, they were just, there, was, there was like the spirit of the day was that there, there was nothing that was going to hold them back from praying for our nation. So we had about 6,000 people there and, um, and just the passion of people to stay and most of the day and really believing God for a shift in our nation. It's quite interesting that there, there was a federal election like just a few, I think it might have been the Saturday after that. And it was quite interesting because we... There was uh, an election result which wasn't expected, which many have said about the last election as well. And there was um, there was this great feeling that uh, that God had answered some amazing prayers during that time. And I do think personally, the thing that God sort of spoke to me a lot about was this idea that um, that He was sort of birthing this idea, rebirthing this idea of prayer and fasting in our nation. Up until that point. It was quite rare for me to hear pastors talking about seasons of prayer and fasting for their churches. But um, it's interesting, just this year, just this January, February season, the amount of churches that I saw on social media proclaiming that they were having a season of prayer and fasting to start the year was extraordinary. Churches that I thought would never um, be into fasting were proclaiming that for their whole church. And um, so, yeah, something I think something probably significantly shifted that day in our thinking around prayer and fasting. Um, There's interesting aspects of what sort of crisis develops when you have an election campaign. That'll be different for motivations for people who might see that there is impending crisis, and I think there was some of that in the lead-up to the last federal election just recently. But also, as you mentioned, when you have that issue of Lent, uh, for a lot of denominations, you know, Anglicans and Catholics and uh, a lot of people in the Uniting Church, a lot of people in different denominations, they have that sort of 40 days in the lead up to uh, Easter. And that is, in in a sense, a time of fasting as well. So there's there's different reasons why people might pursue those things, but it's all about deepening spirituality, but it's also calling on God when there is a time of crisis. Uh, what do you think the yep. biggest motivator is here, Matt? Is it is it going to be the fact that I feel 
feel like I need to deepen my spirituality, draw closer to God, or, oh my goodness, there's a crisis, I better get on my knees and I better fast and pray? Well, you know, I think the Bible sort of presents this quite a wide variety of reasons to fast. Um, when you look at the Old Testament accounts, I mean, there was, there, was the, there was the day of fasting, fasting that was proclaimed by the priest, by God, and, um, and that would happen, the Day of Atonement, and that was sort of very much, uh, a, I guess, a ritual part of, the, of the, uh, the spiritual calendar. But then you've got moments like you see in Joel chapter 2 and 3, where, um, where Joel is told to proclaim afar, and he's, he's told, this is a national emergency, and the emergency is... Um, that locusts are coming. Now, we don't know whether the locusts were... Joel's actually quite an interesting Old Testament prophecy. It's, there's, some, there's very little... Uh, it, it's not an easy book to date. We've got a good idea of when it was, but there's, this sort of, there's a little bit of ambiguity around the details. So we're not exactly sure whether the locusts were actual locusts or whether there was a spiritual thing happening. But whatever your interpretation of it is, there was a crisis and... Um, and the and the people were told the only way to avert the crisis was to call everybody to pray and fast, and the and the priests were to wail in the in the vestry, and there was this you know there's this urgency around it, um, you know the the uh, bridegroom going into the chamber, so it's this idea of people have just got married, and instead of going to consummate the the marriage, they were called to come and pray and fast, and no one was uh, no one was excused. So there's this idea of national emergency, and I think. Um, Whenever, whenever people call a, a season of prayer and fasting in modern times, they are sort of uh, relying on that idea of that um, to call a fast in a time of emergency is, uh, is still a valid thing, I think, anyway. And I, I definitely outline why in, in, in the book, um, in my new book, uh, Invitation to a Fast, um, I do a little bit of, I guess, uh, some theological work around why I think it's valid to use Old Testament passages today. But then you, you jump into the New Testament, and um, and I think it's in Mark 2, Jesus is talking about the bridegroom while he's here. It's not a time to fast, but when he's taken away, there is. And it's almost like this idea of uh, it's great to pray and fast during emergencies, but also the idea that one of the, one of the marks of the bridegroom, uh, oh, sorry, of the bride, you know, the, the bride of Christ, the church, one of the one of the ongoing attributes should be this um, this longing, this desire, this fasting, this desire to see the kingdom of God um, birthed in every aspect of society in, in our lives as well. So it's like Jesus is saying, "You'll know the bride because the bride will be marked by this sense of longing and yearning for the groom and for more of Christ in our lives, um, and to just." So yeah, I think I think you see this sort of uh, patterns of yes, absolutely valid for national emergencies, uh, and and yes, absolutely valid for um, individual uh, passions around seeing God do more in our in a, in in our discipleship walk. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 
2020 on Vision. Matt Madigan is our guest, a pastor, speaker, author, and a passionate faster for the past 20 years. A 40-day fast has been part of his annual routine. Our talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking about fasting today. Uh, Matt, before we take any calls, uh, let me just ask you about some health issues here because... Uh, there might be some listening to us saying, oh, this sounds like a great idea. I think I'll do this for the first time ever. I'm going to do a 40-day fast. It was good enough for Jesus. It'll be good enough for me. Uh, let's talk about some health issues around that because uh, word of caution here about pursuing fasting. And uh, Matt, you might have to, your insights here about uh, how you might approach a fast, whether it's just a short one or whether it's a long one. What are your thoughts on health issues around these? Yeah, absolutely. And this is some really great advice as well. Um, when I was the first thinking about 40-day fasting, there's a couple of things I think it's really important to remember. My, uh, my father-in-law was a doctor, so it was easy for me to have chats with him about this sort of thing. So I would recommend before anyone fasts that they, they do talk to their doctor. And, it, and, and you might feel like, oh, you know, um, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, you know, actually being... Um, really sensible with our health uh we we don't want to divorce that from the idea of spirituality uh and the last thing we want is someone putting themselves in grave danger with their health um so i think it's really important to talk to your gp around that uh it's interesting uh i just got sent an article two nights ago by someone at church um and and not thinking from spiritual point of view, but talking from just the health benefits of fasting, there's been a whole lot more research as well around fasting from the medical profession. So it's not like uh, you'll be uh, often with your GP, you probably won't be bringing up things that they've not processed in the past. So I encourage that as well. The other thing I really encourage is start small. So um, I didn't start with a 40-day fast, although I did do my first one in 2002, um, I did start with shorter fasts, and it gives you a really good idea, and this is a really important thing to do, is take note of what happens to your body. Um, and uh, as you take note of what happens to your body, it will help you as you think about, okay, next time I want to do a seven-day fast. So the sort of things to expect, um, what happens with, uh, with energy levels, uh, what happens with um, your digestive system, what happens even with your cognitive function. So it's really important to take note of all those things. But um, And what happens is you build up, I guess, a reservoir of wisdom around what works for you. The other thing I'd say is that there are different levels of fasting. I know I only know of a few people who have done like extended fasting, which is water, and they do talk about how it is mentally very rigorous. I mean, for me, fasting looks like um, a couple of drinks of juice a day or, or in the last couple of years I'll drink milk a bit more because it... Um, it takes away that nauseated feeling uh, that you often have all the time you're fasting. So um, you sort of learn some things along the way to help you. But, yeah, definitely uh, get some medical advice. And, and, and like the pastor of Jack Hayford would talk about, sometimes what it means is um, you enter into the spirit of the fast for health reasons you, must, you need to eat, um, but you work out a way to do it where you eat as little as possible to keep yourself healthy. We're taking calls. You might have a contribution to make into our conversation all about fasting today. Let's take a call. Leonie is in Tamworth in New South Wales. Hello, Leonie. Welcome along. Hello. Leonie, what are your thoughts? Um, you just answered every question I had 
the the last bit I was listening to on the phone. Um, I really do want to pr- uh, do prayer and fasting. So is the prayer bit when you, um, like if you um, fast from, say, um, uh, TV, is that when you pray, when you're not meant to be watching TV, you pray then? Is that it? Uh, good thoughts, Leone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt, what are your thoughts for Leone? Hi, Leone. Um, and it's great Hi. to have a call from Tamworth because... Um, yep. Um, most of the writing that I did was actually done while we lived in Tamworth. So, um, yes. so and fond memories there from... for sure. Um, yep. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, setting aside, and the, look, there's so there's no legi- there's no legislation around this. Um, setting aside uh, prayer times for times you'd normally watch TV, absolute great idea. Um, and I think that's sort of the idea of when we fast food, we sort of pray in meal times. But we don't have to be um, prescriptive. Um, it can be uh, a springboard, I guess, to be praying. Uh, what I would used to do is instead of having a meal, I'd go for a prayer walk. So uh, you're probably familiar with South Tamworth. I would walk the streets of South Tamworth often in the early days and uh, and just prayer walk as I walked around the streets because I would find that um, getting active was actually quite helpful for my mind. Leone from Tamworth, does that answer your question? You said you heard some good things about, you know, how you approach these things uh, in the bit of conversation before we had you on. Leone, is that uh, all you had to offer? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Wonderful Thank to hear you. from you, Leone. Thank you so much for your call. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to join in our conversation, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Also you can leave a note, a comment, a question on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Uh, Matt, let me ask you about this idea of an invitation to fast. Uh, because uh, this is uh, a follow-up from your first book and the idea of an invitation uh, as opposed to this chosen fast. What's the what's the idea of uh, using that word in the title of your book? I know there's some deeper significance there. Yeah, well, um, yeah, look, the, the second book, just a general comment, the second book is, is in some ways a little bit of a... So when I wrote the first book, it was very much um, based around a couple of things. It was the story of how God took us from Tamworth to New York City for the call, uh, basically with only a few dollars in our pocket. And it just, it's just quite a miraculous story of how that happened. But it also, I wrote a journal um, for my first 40-day fast. And so the book is really uh, journal-based, um, it's story-based. Um, there's a good narrative that moves through it. But it wasn't really a deep sort of theological treatment of fasting. So um, I knew that I wanted to do that because some of my, my more minister-type, clergy-type friends were very much like, um, uh, you know, fasting is not for today or it's, uh, it's damaging to your health. There's, people would say to me, there's no way anyone can fast for 40 days. And so I really wanted to uh, give that some some deep thinking from a biblical perspective. So... When I went and did my Masters of Divinity, uh, in the final year, you get to do a Masters paper. So I was like, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, and so the book, Invitation to a Fast, um, it, it sort of takes some of the material from my thesis and fleshes that out. But the, the big thing that I guess um, God had taught me around over and over again was this idea that um, that I think he, he, he lovingly woos us into a place of fasting, rather than commands it. Um, 
So uh, sometimes in the New Testament passages, you get this idea of when you, like Jesus says, when you fast, when you fast. And I guess that, for me, as I think about it, it's more like, um, so when you happen to be fasting as opposed to you must fast. Um, but for me, uh, I know that the, the pivotal point came when I was doing my first 40 day fast because it was such a challenging thing for my family to think through. At the time, we had uh, two little kids. We've now got four. But um, at the time, we had two kids and trying to maintain a full-time job um, and and also all the stuff that goes with being in a local church on a pastoral team. Um, and it was like, am I actually going to survive? Is it, how, how is this going to affect our family? And so to have the feeling of the spirit gently wooing you into it. And I thought the best way I could describe that is like an invitation. Um, and so what I've done is with this book, I've just sort of thought through this motif of invitation because as Christians, a lot of the time, we're really used to the idea of command. We really, um, it's, it's, we understand it pretty well, but I think sometimes we don't quite understand the, the, the wooing of the Spirit. Matt, let me ask you, as we get this part of our conversation underway, there's a question here. What is going to happen when I fast? Uh, am I going to be all of a sudden supercharged, empowered? Am I going to feel different on the other side of the fast? Because sometimes it might be uncomfortable during the fast. So when people ask you what happens... When you fast or when I fast, uh, what's your response? Oh, so many stories of what God does. I, I would say that there's definitely some personal things that happen and then there's some citywide things that can happen as well. Just on the, on the personal level, um, I know for myself that um, I used to, used to really struggle with the fear of man, this idea that um, I was really consumed by what people thought of me and I wanted to give a good impression and, and it was quite crippling sometimes around how I'd interact with people. Um, I just remember after one 40 day fast I did one time um, that, uh, that this fear just lifted and I found myself with a new self-confidence um, and, I, and I, I noticed a tangible difference in that that fear had left and, uh, and I noticed that now like when I speak in places I used to be um, really consumed by what people thought of me as I spoke, but now I'm like, uh, that fear is just left and, um, and I'm, there's very, no, it sounds terrible to say there's no concern, but um, it, it doesn't cripple me like it used to do. Um, just in terms of our family as well, we had um, times, you have times as parents when you feel like maybe, maybe you're losing the heart of your kids towards you. And I'd noticed that there was one point where with one of my sons, um, our relationship wasn't going fantastic. And I was like, okay, it's time to pray and fast over that relationship. About nine days in, uh, there's this incredible shift where uh, the, the tensions that we've been experiencing uh, just dissipated and there was a shift of heart. And that was, that was fantastic. So then I just moved on to different subjects um, but one part, in particular around your city, this is, this is quite interesting. When we were living in Tamworth many years ago, um, pastoring uh, in, in one of the churches there, um, I'd been reading up on some of the history of our town, and uh, there was, there's a river that goes right through the middle of town, the Peel River. And um, as I read the history of our city, there was very much, when the city was 
uh, was founded, there was very much an us and them between the two different sides of the river based economically around uh, one of the companies that set up and the free settlers. And it was really interesting because um, there'd been quite a few church splits over the years. And um, as I heard the stories of those church splits, it was interesting that when people got uh, upset with their pastoral team and decided to start their own church, they'd, they'd nearly always start on the other side of the river. So there was, there was this... Um, there was a lot of church splits that went on. So I sort of thought about this a bit and prayed about this a bit. And um, I was watching some election coverage one night and an, an independent candidate for um, Tamworth had won again. And, uh, the, and the, the commentary team on the election coverage said, what is it about Tamworth and the independent? And um, something in my spirit quickened. And I was like, there's something God wants to do in our city around the idea of churches as being independent from each other. So we, uh, we called a 40-day fast for our city. Um, and at that point, I was like, I, w- I was just, you know, I-, I didn't feel like I was anyone really in particular called this fast, but it- God put it on my heart. So I went around to a whole bunch of ministers. We, we had... Um, um, oh, well, right from right from conservative churches through to Pentecostal churches, a whole bunch of different uh, churches, and I went around to them individually and just had a meeting with them and said, "Look, and just pitch the idea of a forty-day fast to really see the, the, the idea of independence broken over our, our churches." Um, and so, um, and so, what happened was, uh, I was really surprised. All ten churches that I approached said, "Yes, we'd love to do this." And then another few joined in as well. So there's about 13 out of the 39 churches in the city that uh, joined in this 40 days of prayer and fasting. And um, I, I think a couple of things happened after that. I know that um, the service that I was leading was a service. We had about 20 or 30 people. It wasn't many. It was an evening service. We'd been tasked with sort of planting an evening service, and it wasn't really going anywhere. After the 40-day fast, we, we grew about five-fold in the next six to, uh, well, maybe two to three months, really. And it was incredible. We had um, maybe 100 or more people come, and many young people got saved. It was incredible to see how many young people got saved. And even, like, uh, a, a guy who came church planning with us got radically saved one night after church. And this was all in a period of time. It was really interesting... Um, uh, the local Anglican girls' school started praying around their flagpole every week, and and kids who um, they said, "Oh, there's no much, not much use praying for them because they'll never get saved," got radically saved. Um, and when I look at the landscape of what's happening in the churches in Tamworth now, it's a really positive stories. Like churches, of, there's a church that's broken through the 500 mark and and heading towards the thousand mark, and there's just some beautiful things and beautiful stories of unity happening. So. I think it's really valid personally. Um, you'll see some amazing things happen if, if you take note. Um, and you'll see some amazing things happen in your nation and your, and your city as you pray and your church. Interesting to hear you use the sorts of words that you do uh, when you talk about, you know, you were fasting and then someone was radically saved and then there were amazing things that happened. Because I know it'll be the story of a lot of believers who are saying, well, these sorts of amazing things and, uh, you know, this idea of being radically saved or there was a radical breakthrough here or whatever, uh, these have not been the, uh, the the story in their Christian walk. 
and and it may be that there's a certain sort of uh, secularized uh, idea of oh we don't do any fasting anymore we don't do anything that's a little bit more out on the edge a little more radical with our Christian spirituality and and actually pressing in to see some level of breakthrough but but what you're saying is once you do make that application uh, this sacrifice this fast this pressing into god then what is what comes out of that is something that's radical and oftentimes amazing uh, is that something you should expect when you're fasting matt um i find uh i i find these days i keep my expectations low um and and i i, I try not to be too prescriptive around um around what i expect to see happen and so then when something uh, out of the ordinary happens. It's like, wow, I really didn't see that coming. So, um, and I'm a pretty excitable guy anyway. So it's like, and I'm really passionate about souls. And so I, I really do think someone, someone getting saved is amazing and miraculous thing, but somebody getting saved who is quite vocally anti-God, uh, that. And and for my friend who was you know addicted to pot smoking, uh, and just then uh, never smoke it again again ever after he got saved. Like for me, that's the sort of stuff that I'm like, wow, that's pretty um, that's pretty uh, exciting type stuff. So what I tend to do is um, try not to be prescriptive around uh, what I'm expecting to see happen, and therefore just trust God with whatever happens. So. Sometimes I'll go into a fast with a very clear uh, idea of what I'm praying for, and other times not so much a clear idea, just knowing that, God, we need help. Question on Facebook from Susanna, who says, Wondering what you think, Matt, about our present world and how it glorifies food. Just look at all the cooking shows. I think there's a little god of food and gluttony that's downplaying how important fasting food and hence shifting focus to devices or coffee or things less critical to life. What are your thoughts uh, for Susanna? And uh, is there a little god of food around here in Australia? Yeah, I was just reading her comment on the page actually before you mentioned it. Yeah, um, it's a really insightful comment, actually, because uh, I've thought about this quite a lot. I do think um, I do think there's a spiritual element to our to our lives where if we take out Jesus and the gospel and, and we say that that's not part of our that's not part of our allowed conversation, then something else has got to try and fill that void. I mean, Billy Graham talked a lot about how you know there's a god shaped void in our heart. Uh, and we often try to fill it with things. And I, I have thought about this idea that over the last 10 or 15, 20 years, there's been a breakout in food shows, but it's, it's not even just like an old-style food show where um, it was, I guess, a bit more functional. It has become this incredible glorification of food. And, uh, and sorry to my foodie friends. Um, I mean, the, the flip side is, you can see this uh, redemptive as well. So you can look at it and say, God made every type of flavor that exists, and He could have, He could have just uh, made food very functional. He could have made it where it's just like a tablet where it's got all your nutrients in it, but He didn't. He created so many different types of flavors and colors and textures, and and we should celebrate that. And I agree with that. We should celebrate that because it's um something a, a gift from God. 
But at the same time, the ability for us to be able to understand a creative order, that we don't want to take created things and elevate them to godlike status is really important as well. So, you know, but the great thing about uh, food shows and all sorts of things like that is it's pretty easy to turn them off. Um, so if you feel like they they become uh, uh, gluttonous or idolatry, then, then, you know, the off button is always an option as well. Matt, interesting time to raise a little issue here that uh, I've noted over the years. The idea that, uh, oh, this sounds like a pretty good spiritual pursuit. I think I'll start a fast. I could do with losing a few kilos. Uh, what are your thoughts on this sort of motivation that some people might have that, uh, you know, it might be nice to have a little bit of weight loss and do something that deepens my spirituality at the same time? Uh, what's your experience around this idea that people might have weight loss as part of the motivation for their fast? Yeah, look, that, that's a really challenging question because I'm sort of, uh, I'm naturally more on the larger side of life. And so um, I know in my first couple of fasts, it was very much like, oh, this will be an added benefit. And so what happens in the first few days is you see a lot of weight come off. Um, but the other thing that happens is when you stop fasting, your, um, your uh, metabolism has slowed dramatically and you can find yourself put that weight straight back on in the next couple of weeks because you find yourself um, incredibly hungry so what I've found over the years is um, trying to show the same discipline while fasting as you're coming out is really helpful. There's no question that you can lose weight through fasting, but um, and and losing a bit of weight if you're larger is not the worst thing in the world. But uh, you're right; you want to be really careful that your motivation doesn't come just just become that. And um, you know, and some and there's been some fasts where that's been a constant challenge. So, uh, you know, I would say there are some fasts where I don't think about it too much, uh, and there's some fasts where I think about it a lot. In my early days, um, I'd be sitting on the lounge uh, in a long fast, and I'd just be flicking through cookbooks, uh, and then I'd be like, my wife would say to me, "What are you? What are you doing?" And I found myself almost, I guess, lusting after food. And thinking, oh, I can't wait till when I finish fasting, I can cook this and cook this. But every time I finish fasting, I just find the food would never taste as good as what my mind had built it up to. So um, it's pretty, these days, it's quite a rare thing for me to look at cookbooks while I fast. Um, because it's sort of like, maybe, maybe I'm compensating for not eating by actually lusting after food. So I do think, uh, it's something that you've got to monitor as you go and and allow the spirit to just, you know, give you a heart check as you go. Matt, only a, a few minutes really remaining in our conversation. Let's come back to some of the practical aspects of fasting because, uh, you know, there'll be people listening to us now. I imagine that it's a good thing to uh, to let your pastor in if you're going to be doing some fasting. Sometimes it's the pastor who calls a fast in a local church setting. Uh, but if you're listening to our conversation now, you might be thinking, I think I'll do some fasting. I better let my pastor in on this. Some spiritual oversight from your pastor is probably a very good thing. Yeah, and look, just depending on the size of the church and that sort of thing, like it might be your, your home group leaders or your connect leaders or it might be your pastor. That's probably just you know, a functional thing. Look, having, others, um, having other 
spiritual people in your life know is a good thing. I think we we want to be careful. Um, we want to be careful. Uh, sometimes people have challenged me and they've said, Jesus said uh, that when you fast, it should be a little bit like you know, not letting your not, you know, you don't. Um, what did he say to the to the, uh, to the Pharisees? He said, "Don't paint your face so people can tell," and that sort of thing. Yep. And so they said, you, "Look, you shouldn't tell anyone because it's just between you and God." And there's an element for that that's right. But um, the context Jesus was talking to were some people who were uh, constantly trying to show off spiritually. So Jesus is actually um, he's actually rebuking people who are. Uh, taking the fast, which was a beautiful spiritual thing, and turning it into a way of um, getting the accolade of man. So um, we want to be, if our hearts are right in the fasting place, then the words of Jesus, um, it's not that they're dismissed, but um, they're really aimed at hearts that are really all about um, self-promotion. So if your fast has got nothing to do with self-promotion, then I'd say um, it's quite valid for you to talk to some close and trusted people uh, around it, and 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 maybe they might form accountability, or they might form uh, they might form a support group around that. Um, I know the first time I did my uh, forty day fast, I I talked. There was two people, my wife and my pastor, um, Pastor Ken Holt from Tamworth, and he um, and I just talked through the idea with them. And uh, but the great thing was that there was encouragement, but there's also this sense of if it's not working, I'm going to stop doing it, and um, and they were able to keep me accountable. So yeah, I, I do think that um, that we want to be careful about uh, doing a complete secrecy and silence, because I'm not sure that's what Jesus was actually saying in the Sermon on the Mount. I think he was really having uh, having words with those who were promoting themselves spiritually. Um, yeah, and having accountability, uh, you know, maybe your doctor, your pastor, and and a spouse. Um, and that sort of thing, I think it's helpful. Now, timing of a fast, and we mentioned there could be all sorts of reasons why you might fast. Uh, Jesus came out of a 40-day fast, uh, ready to launch into his ministry. In fact, while he was on the fast, of course, uh, that conversation, that encounter, that uh, that battle with the devil in that sense uh, while he was in the wilderness. So if you're choosing a direction, you're at a crossroads wondering which direction to go, is this a way that you might actually seek some direction from God, uh, be empowered to take the next step? Uh, what are your thoughts for just the timing of what you might do when you are going to fast? Yeah, um, absolutely. And and it's interesting, the idea of Jesus fasting, uh, it, for some it's quite divisive, Um there and and I address this in in the new book, Imitation to a Fast. I do do a little bit of thinking through this idea. Some say, "Hey, it was Jesus. We're not supposed to follow him into certain things," uh, and I can hear that. And some others say, "Look, it's just symbolic. Um, Jesus is trying to close off this idea of forty days in the wilderness, uh, equating to forty years for the children of Israel. So there's a, a sense of symbolicness in it. Not saying he didn't do it." Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, there's been debates over the years because basically in church history, the 40-day fast of Jesus uh, is what gave birth to the idea of the Lenten fast. Um, what I find a lot more compelling, and not that Jesus' fast is not compelling, but what I find a lot more compelling is actually how the disciples understood fasting when the, when the church was born. Um, and, and you find, as you're reading the narrative of Acts, you get to chapter 13, and you come on this stunning moment 
where some of the um, some of the prophets and teachers of the church are, are worshiping and fasting to the mm-hmm. Lord, and in the context of that, something incredible happens. Um, they hear the Holy Spirit and they set aside uh, Paul and Silas to go and basically on their missionary journey and, and church planning. And later in Acts, there's two other places where um, where uh, Luke is describing. Paul and Silas as um, fasting and praying before they decided who would lead the local church. So there is this idea, ongoing idea, that they wanted to hear what the Spirit was saying, so they knew that New Testament church knew that the pattern of praying and fasting while seeking the Holy Spirit for discernment was was sort of like an A plan. So um, so I would say, uh, look, if you've got big decisions coming up, this is what I say to people. Often in our spiritual journey, we get stuck. We get stuck, and we just we don't know how to move forward. We, we're like we're reading our Bible, we're praying, um, and we feel like there's no breakthrough to come. I feel like fasting is like a giant crowbar, or or something that gets us unstuck spiritually. The, the force and power, and even Jesus when he's talking to his disciples, like in I think it's Mark nine, and they couldn't cast out the uh, the uh, the boy, the spirit of the boy. And Jesus turns to them and says, um, this type only comes out by prayer and fasting, and then he casts it out. And basically the inference is um, not to even just go off and pray and fast now about it, but actually the lifestyle of prayer and fasting produces this uh, spiritual power that sometimes just um, prayer alone uh, won't touch. So I, I yep. cover all that in this book, Invitation to a Fast. Well, Matt, we have run out of time, and... I'll point people to how they can get a hold of your book. Uh, Invitation to a Fast is the one we've been talking about today. It's the follow-up to Matt's first book, which is called This Chosen Fast. Uh, it's published by Ark House Press. Uh, you can get a hold of it from the Ark House uh, website, but also just go on Amazon and all good booksellers, and you'll be able to find Invitation to a Fast, the follow-up book to This Chosen Fast. And I might mention too, Matt Madigan, Matt, you're the manager of the mobile community pantry. Uh, that uh, is that in the Blue Mountains. Just uh, it's um, it's all through the Sydney diocese. So it's right, the, okay. it's the outreach of Anglicare Sydney. Uh, we work with 51 churches in helping them care for the needy in their local area. Yep. Well, uh, honour to you for the good work you do and for the great insights when it comes to this issue of fasting and uh, certainly adds to our our uh, knowledge and understanding and our motivation for taking some steps forward. Uh, Matt Madigan, just uh, great to get your insights once again. Thank you so much for taking some time to share these things with us today on 2020. Oh, look, thanks, thanks Neil, for having me and thanks to all the listeners as well. Um, the Amazon link isn't live yet. It should be up in the next few days, but it is live on Kurong. Okay, so you can get a hold of it at Kurong and uh, Amazon in the next few days or arkhousepress.com. Uh, Matt Madigan, we'll talk again soon. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.